Amen. Don't you want to say hallelujah to that? Hallelujah. <laughs> wow. This is the season where we celebrate that child. A child who comes and can do God's work in ways that we could never imagine. You know, if we planned it, we would have probably planned it very differently. Jesus would probably have been born into wealth because that's the idea we tend to have. Jesus probably would have been born to a queen. Instead, Jesus was born in simple surroundings, in simple ways, to a simple teenager who was simply open. It's amazing how we have taken a season that's intended to be so basic and so simple and so real and we've complicated it. <laughs> we've made it crazy. <laughs> Simplicity. As simple as something you smell, hear, and taste. I've wanted us during this season to get back to the simplicity of the season by really sensing it. Sensing the miracle that's there. So the first Sunday of Advent, we celebrated the sense of smell. Last week, we celebrated the sense of hearing as a sanctuary choir offered our cantata. And today, I want this season to be so real that we can taste it. One of our favorite senses of the season is the sense of taste. We associate certain foods with this season. Think back to some of your family traditions. Sometimes it's not Christmas until you have that special cookie that grandmother makes. In my family, believe it or not, the special food we celebrated every Christmas Eve around midnight was tuna fish. <laughs> now this may seem really odd. And when I was about 15 years old, after eating tuna fish for 15 years at midnight on Christmas Eve, I finally asked mom, why do we eat tuna fish every year? What does that have to do with Christmas? She wasn't exactly sure, but the family legend has it that going all the way back to the, to the Depression, my mother's side of the family ate beans almost every day of the year. They were very poor and lived in West Texas. So back during the Depression, tuna fish was considered something special. So they began to eat that on Christmas Eve, and my family continues to eat tuna fish every year at Christmas Eve. But it has a deeper meaning for us because it reminds us of who we are as a family and where we came from. What do you taste when you taste Christmas? What are some of your favorite foods? What do you have to eat before it's Christmas? Name out some of those foods. What are some of your foods that make it Christmas? Fudge. Fudge. Yum. Tamales. Tamales. We had some of those last week. Absolutely. What other what other foods make it Christmas? Mincemeat pie. Sweet potato pie. Oh, just think of that. So for a moment, think of your favorite Christmas food. Now I heard this morning, I heard oysters, we've heard tamales, we've heard fudge. I didn't hear one person mention fruitcake. <laughs> okay, I have a confession to make. I am a closet fruitcake lover. <laughs> 
and it's getting more and more difficult to find fruitcake. And I had a friend who actually came out to me as, an, as another fruitcake lover. So I decided to give him an early Christmas gift. So I went looking for a fruitcake. It was almost impossible to find it anywhere. I finally found some fruitcake and gave it to him. And he said, wow, fruitcake at last. I'm taking it to the party I'm going to tomorrow night. <laughs> I said, no, you probably better eat it in the privacy of your own home. <laughs> the taste of the season. The call today is not just to hear the word, not just to hear the scripture, but to taste it. And that's actually what the psalmist is calling us to do today. The psalmist writes, taste and see that God is good. And David knew what he was talking about when he wrote this psalm. When David described his relationship with God, he used the sense of taste. If anyone has tasted and seen that God was good, it was David. David's heart was consumed with the pursuit of God. He didn't just nibble on life with God. He feasted on life with God. When David thought about his life with God, it caused him to worship. He couldn't help but praise God, and for good reason. David had discovered firsthand that when you call out to God, God answers. God answered not by being the kind of God who could get David out of the jam he was in, but by being the kind of God who could make an everyday difference. David didn't just have a crisis experience with a get-me-out-of-this-mess God, but David knew an everyday relationship with God. So when David wrote, Taste and see that God is good, he did not have a bite-sized sample in mind. Mm -hmm. David feasted on his life with God. Oh, David didn't just nibble. He didn't just pick around the plate. He feasted, he tasted, he experienced it. That is the call that David gives us today in regards to our faith, in regards to our life with God. It's not just a Sunday snack or a Sunday sampling. It's to be that full buffet, that feast, that plate that's overflowing. Now, a nuance in the scripture. Notice that David said, God is good. He didn't necessarily say, that life is good. Part of the underlying reality here is that David knew what it was to taste the wonders of life and the depth of life and the richness of life, to experience the joyful textures. But he also knew what it was to taste life when it's bitter. He knew what it was to fall short of his own callings and his own ideals. He knew what it was to be afraid we too at times need to taste the bitter part of life. The part of life we'd rather not eat. Remember how when there was something on my plate that I didn't want to eat and wrinkled up my nose, mom would say, Dwayne, you've got to take at least one bite. Usually I'd wait till she turned her head and then I'd sneak it under the table to the dog. <laughs> I'd say, mom, see, I took a bite. <laughs> 
But in life, we can't always do that. Sometimes we're not allowed just one bite because whatever it is, it keeps coming. Sometimes we are forced to eat the entire plate of whatever life brings us, whether we want it or not. What David is saying in this psalm is that God is with us. God is present. God is good. Continue to taste the goodness of God even when it may seem bitter. Go deeper. Know that God is with us. Don't just taste it, in fact. Savor it. Oh, how we've gotten so used to eating fast. David is saying, experience God continually. That first verse in that scripture today talks about praise being continually on his lips. It means eating all the time. Eating slowly. What would it mean if we all really got back to savoring the goodness of God through all our lives? In our attempts to help others, we can do spiritual harm to ourselves. In our rush to do good, we eat on the run, grabbing a sandwich that we eat standing up, or eat going out the door, or eat while driving. We don't even notice the little pieces of food that we drop everywhere, the forgotten crumbs. In our rush, we forget that Jesus set the table for a feast of life, abundant life, joy-filled life, a life where every single day we can know intimacy and friendship with God. Jesus invites us to do more than sample an occasional taste of grace. Jesus invites us to sit down at the table day in and day out, at Christmas, Easter, and every Sunday in between, in fact, every day in between. With Jesus, life is a feast. So put a flower on the table, light a candle, turn on soft music, eat slowly, come home, savor, Be present to yourself and to God. Then see how your presence to others takes on a feast-like quality. Hmm. When was the last time you had a wonderful romantic dinner with God? God wants to romance our souls. God is saying, come and feast with me, dine with me, taste the richness of life that I offer you. Oh, we get so busy, we end up missing our life. And Jesus says, come, I am life. Oh, if David had only known Jesus. Look at the praise that David already has. He's setting the feast. He's setting the table for what was to come, something even better. David says, taste and know that God is good. And then Jesus comes to the world and says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. John 10.10, I have come that you might taste, that you might become full. 
that you might have so much that you will not be able to help but share it. Oh, we've gotten into such habits of counting everything. We hoard. We're reminded that even our crumbs and waste could feed a good part of the world that's still hungry. All that we share is precious. What God is calling us to do here is to not just eat enough for ourselves, but to have enough to share broadly, to share with our community. So we're called to taste it, we're called to savor it, and then we're called to share it. And that is the real miracle. And that's my hope and my dream and my vision for us as a congregation. Yes, I want us to come here and feast at God's table. And today at communion we'll be using real bread so we can smell it and taste it and feel that texture. I want us to come here and feast. But I don't want it just to be a dinner that we have here that we keep to ourselves. My prayer is that we would be a congregation that feeds our community. And today we'll be blessing a basket, over 70 baskets that we're taking to share with our community. That's a miracle. In a world that holds on and hoards a group of people willing to share is a miracle in itself. The real miracle on 11th Street is not about what happens here, but about what happens from here to out there. That's the real miracle. As I've shared, one of my hopes for us is that we would finish this year strong, that we would then be positioned to do ministry like we've never imagined before in the upcoming year. As many of you are aware, we were coming to the end of the year with a deficit hanging over us. And so I prayed about it. And I realized that the first miracle needed was a spiritual miracle. So I called you to be a miracle maker and pray every day between noon and 1 p.m. Continue to do that. Many of you have stepped forward. But then I gave the financial challenge for us to ask God what we would do above our tithes and offering so that we could finish the year strong, so that we could minister outward into the community. And I shared that with the board, and before we even announced it publicly, the board had come through with pledges of over $10,000. We announced that. It was a miracle. Then we invited the staff and the council to join, and uh, we announced that last week, that the council and staff had come forward, and at that point, our pledges actually reached over $20,000. And on Monday morning, I realized that not only had that been pledged, but we had over $20,000 in hand towards the miracle. Then <laughs> we asked you to join in, and a number of you uh, last week became miracle makers and agreed to pray and uh, offered what God was calling you to do. And uh, Tuesday, I got the report, and uh, I was so excited, I even wanted to wait till today to share with the board of directors that between the board and the staff and the council, and then last week through you, we are at $39,361. With a week to go, that's just $10,000 more dollars for us to take the ministry here and share it broadly. And so today, many of you, I just want to say thank you because you've already stepped forward as a miracle maker. But if you're still praying about it, we have a basket for you here and would invite you to, um, to offer that during communion or after the service or put it in the offering plate.
Uh, there is so much that God wants to do, and I'll be sharing more about that in detail right after this service next door in the activity building. But really, the real miracle is about sharing. It's about room at the table. It's about communion that reaches beyond these walls. Communion changes how we think about food. When we break bread, we are called to rethink who is welcome at the table. Then, we cannot help but take bread out to those who have no bread at all. At God's table, there is plenty of elbow room. We find ourselves sitting next to those who would normally be strangers. The hungry find themselves filled. The family of Christ shares fully in God's feast. Amen. If you're comfortable, take the hand of someone nearby as we go to our God in prayer. God of grace and God of love and God of mercy and God of life. God of full tables. God of miracles of sharing. Help us to fully believe in you and in your provision. Oh God, may this be a miracle church where everyone indeed is welcome at the table. Feed the hungry through us. Help us to taste and know your goodness, to savor the goodness, and then share that goodness in new and innovative and exciting ways that change the world for you, one heart at a time, one meal at a time. Jesus Christ, giver of grace, have mercy on us as individuals. Jesus Christ, giver of grace, have mercy on this, your church. Jesus Christ, giver of grace, have mercy on your world. And hear the prayers of your people who pray. Amen. Amen.